The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's get to our guest. Ann Barry is with us. Ann is founder, also managing partner at Threadneedle, joining us uh, from here in uh, New York. And it's always a pleasure. Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us. I think we can agree that one of the key themes last year was soaring inflation and aggressive tightening of financial conditions. I'm wondering, from your point of view, does the narrative change? I know we, we have to begin talking about recession, but are we in a, at a kind of an abrupt turning point, or are we going to see pretty much a continuation of, let's say, the last quarter? Continuation of the last quarter, Doug, feels like it's the most likely to be on the cards, which is the Fed continuing to raise rates because inflation just isn't down where we want it to be quite yet. And so until we see the data coming in through January and February, that is when I think we'll have more clarity on whether we're turning the corner here on inflation data and the, and the Fed's response to it. And in, in your view, how do base effects play into all this? Richard, when you say the base effects, you mean... I'm talking about last year's numbers, of course, when inflation started off um, in, in a meaningful way compared to what it is in relationship to this year. Yeah, well, I think the fact that we're starting at a point that has got prices much higher than we were means that we would hope to see the rate of inflation come down. But I, I think, Richard, the problem that we have at the moment is so much has happened over the last six months that wasn't anticipated and which the reactions are not yet um, clear as to what they're going to be. So whether it's the rate at which um, interest rates came up, what the real impact is that on the consumer, we still don't know yet. So far, consumer default rates, for example, haven't cracked to levels that would be onerous, but we still don't know. We know that savings have been depleted. When you look at inflation, we know that some elements of the US economy are still really suffering from outsized increases, specifically in industries that are very labor or wage intensive. So while we've seen you know, a, a sort of slowdown in some of the core issues over the last month or two, we still don't really know yet how they're going to percolate through the U.S. economy and whether it's going to be Q1 or Q2 or Q3 before we see some stabilization. One of the stories that we've been tracking quite closely is the COVID story in China and the disruption not only to the population there, but also mm -hmm. the, the second order impact, which is supply chain problem. And the third order, uh, I guess, effect that you could make a case for is uh, reorganization of global supply chains and reshoring of many industries in, in the manufacturing economy. Is that going to be a theme that becomes more aggressive, let's say, in 2023? The theme of chaos, uh, Doug, I think is going to, to stick with us for a little bit before um, longer term effects. And the reason I say that is if you look at what the global response has been to China reopening, on the one hand, it's been sort of euphoria that finally 
there could be an unleashing of recovery and demand in China and perhaps supply chain issues being resolved. On the other hand, you're seeing whether it's the US or whether it's Australia or whether it's Europe slapping testing back on Chinese tourists uh, and Chinese travelers coming into these nations, which suggests that, you know, the, the, the West is not yet convinced that uh, the possibility of new variants emerging is under control. So I think that's why it's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, for the moment. I, I do think, Doug, you've hit on something much longer term, which is this idea of reshoring or repatriating a lot of the areas of the supply chain that had been outsourced. And I think that this issue with COVID uh, really accelerated looking at that dynamic, but it was only one piece of the puzzle, Doug. I think there are other issues that have been driving supply chain changes, national security concerns being one of them, IP protection being another, and also the fact that China's actually become quite expensive as a place to outsource to relative to other parts of the world. It's going to take a long time for places like the US or Europe to build sufficient infrastructure to bring it all back. It will start, but I think that's going to be a multi five, 10 year uh, change in supply chains. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. Now, and that also leads us into how you've been looking at outsourcing as well. You've been investing for uh, nearly 15 years and uh, you've been an outsource services CEO. So this is a trend which continues, but it, it must have limits. It does have limits, Rashad, and there's different kinds of outsourcing. There's the kind of global outsourcing we think about, which is uh, business process um, uh, BPOs or uh, call centers, for example, going overseas. Or there's the kind of outsourcing which is sending oil manufacturing to China, for example. But there's also a huge amount of outsourcing that happens within domestic confines that historically has tended to happen during recessions. And the reason that happens is companies, and we're hearing it all the time right now, are trying to think about how to remove costs and transition to be more asset light when you're in a down economy. And that means trying to take, you know, permanent labor um, and turning it into temporary labor. And so, for example, staffing industries tend to do very well during recessions. Um, Productivity enhancing technology tends to do very well. And so those are the kinds of areas, Rashad, that I think, yes, at some point there is a cap, but actually from a cyclical perspective, there tends to be some temporary or transient outsourcing that picks up during recessionary periods as well as these structural trends over time. Do you have a sense of how that might look geographically? Is it Russia, India, China, mm. and the creation of a, of a solidity there? Is it Canada, United States, and Mexico, maybe incorporating a little bit of South America as well? Do we see much more of a, a geographic kind of fracturing of the global economy? Uh, you know, that's let's take Russia aside for the moment, Doug, because I think Russia has really sort of put itself in this very um, d- sort of isolated situation, given what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, China and India is very interesting to me because, and you and I have discussed this in the past, um, Doug, India is is this nation that feels as though it's been becoming more and more visible in the dialogue around, for example, contributions into the global uh, food supply, movements into global technology supply chains, textiles, obviously, it has been for a very long time. And you've seen India begin to tighten its relationships, for example, with Singapore in much more visible ways, with the Middle East in much more visible ways, um, to really try and unleash some of its potential. So I think seeing India... Um, pop up more in Asia and the Middle East is something that's likely to happen. When it comes to what used to be the North America Free Trade Association that you just touched on, Doug, you know, I think those relationships have been solidified for a very long time. I I don't think those are going to change materially. I think where there's a big question mark is where Europe's going to align itself, because that is, you know, the continent at the moment struggling um, it's seeking energy energy independence from Russia. 
it's doing a decent job at the moment, but it hasn't really got long-term solutions for alternatives figured out yet. That, to me, is a big question mark. Uh, and just uh, from the beginning uh, answer uh, of your answer there, it, is it India at the expense of China, in your view? I don't think it is necessarily India at the expense of China. Um, and the reason I say that is just that the political structures of India and China are so different. And so the ability to drive change and reform in India versus in China at real pace, it's just a totally different story. Um, I also think China is further ahead when you look at the massive investments that have been made into education, into STEM, into tech innovation. India has done some of that um, and done some of that very successfully, but it's not quite at the same place that China is yet, particularly when it comes to manufacturing and particularly when it comes to things like uh, semiconductors um, or to electric innovation. So I, I think there's a lag at the moment when it comes to India versus China. So, Anne, in about uh, 60 seconds or so, given the pullback that we have seen in equity asset prices, will 2023 be a year of M&A activity? Are we going to see a little bit in the way of consolidation? We've already seen it was a tail end of 2022, Doug, particularly in places like software, which are cash flow generative, sticky businesses. And you've just seen private equity, for example, just run at that space, even though the debt markets have been shut down. So I think certain pockets, we will see M&A. I think it's going to be heavily skewed towards corporate M&A, um, where you've got a number of companies flush with cash. We saw dividends bump to record levels in some cases in 2022, where they were reinstated. I do think some of that will be redeployed towards acquisitions. And thanks for making time for us on the day after the New Year holiday. Uh, best to you for uh, 2023. Hope to see you in studio soon. Ann Barry, founder, managing partner at Threadneedle, joining us here on Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.